And with that, friends, we welcome you back, of course, to OGP, where, as always, I am Adam Armbrecht, joined by the healthy, wealthy, and wise Mr. Andy Makowitz. Well, Adam, I have to admit, I'm a little bit under the weather this morning, but true professionals power through it. I feel like that's not true because you didn't mention it before we started, so I'm just assuming this is... Oh, let me get on the air and really milk this thing. What do you got? The sniffles, buddy? Sympathy sympathy vibes. Is that what I'm going for right now? Yeah, little boy blue over here. You know what I mean? Uh, well, good, good for you. I guess good for you. Golf clap for you, sir. Thanks for pulling through. As we come into this, the what will be the quarterly report for Big Blue, we said we wanted to take a look as we get through the season and kind of touch base on how we feel, right? How are things going? Listen, we know that the Giants are 0-4, but there's a lot more than just saying, hey, offense bad, defense pretty good. So we're going to dive into things a little bit here and kind of get a, a general sense of where we stand as we take a look at the New York football Giants before they head, in, head into their first divisional matchup this weekend with the Dallas Cowboys. And before we really get full throttle into this, we just do a quick touch on something that we have brought up before, and that's the general manager, Dave Gettleman, and where he stands. I know you have some probably deeper thoughts around this. I'll, I'll throw mine out, super, just super high level here for me. Even though I know it's frustrating with the way things have been, at least this season and even into past seasons with some of the hits and misses, unfortunately, we probably have to wait until the end of this year to know where certain key positions, obviously across the offensive line, to know where they stand before we can make a real referendum on Gettleman. Well, that's the thing. I mean, if you look online, the Giants are 0-4, and, and, and everyone is clamoring for Dave Gettleman to go. And I don't have a dog in this fight. I'm kind of indifferent on, on whether or not he's there in the long term. But I will say, like – when we talk about how inept the offensive line is or we get angry about the cornerback position, it also is important to layer some context behind how we've gotten to some of these positions. And then secondly, let's not also forget about all the good moves that Dave Gettleman has made that may potentially be here in the, in the long term. So I'll humor me. Tell me if any of them resonate with you. Um, you know, for, first off, this offseason, the two biggest free agent acquisitions – were James Bradbury and Blake Martinez. And if anyone says that they are not have not been playing at a Pro Bowl level, they're mistaken. So, you know, when we talk about, oh, we didn't get Byron Jones, you know, the, the number one cornerback on the market, oh, we didn't get this guy. Dave Gettleman made shrewd moves this offseason in acquiring two players that right now are, might be playing at, at, you know, the best of their position. Yeah, and in some ways, you save money by going with Bradbury, obviously, over Jones. And even though they talk about, at the time, saying that the price tag maybe for Blake Martinez over three years seemed like a lot for the, for the way he was perceived, but... If Gettleman, if we were gonna, we're gonna blame him. We got to give him credit. He saw something there, and the value of that contract now looks even better than it did, you know, before you went and signed him to ten million a year over three seasons. Right, and and so you know, those are some of the good pieces. Now let's go into the bad. People are upset about the offensive line. The Giants went out and signed Nate Solder to the largest offensive tackle signing, you know, ever in the history of football. And it was one of those moves that was like, well, we don't know if Nate's going to be great, but we have to, even if he's mediocre, we have to find a way to get better. It's fine if he's a little overpriced. Like we'd rather have him at 10 million, but it's 14 million. We're going to you know, swallow the, the extra cash and, and deal with it. And the problem is he has just been 
a disaster for the Giants, right? Like he hasn't even given us like like just above replacement level. We you know we we paid him all pro money, hoping to get top half of the league value out of it, and we've gotten almost not even a replacement level player. And unfortunately, and this kind of goes into that point too, right? So Nate Solder at the time, like you say, listen, we understand, but he's the only guy in the market. We have to make sure we get him. So you overpay for him at the time. It was understood you were overpaying, but you thought it was still worth it over the length of that contract. It seems like not so much likewise, a move trading assets and getting Leonard Williams. Initially, we may say, boy, that really looks, that looks about as bad as it can get. However, as we highlighted coming into the season, it depended on how he played this year. And he's been pretty darn good for us this season. Doesn't change about maybe your opinion about assets or otherwise and what you want to spend on the player. But that one has now changed perceptions a little bit too. So it's really hard to be a prisoner of the moment or not be a prisoner of the moment and understand. Got to look at this thing over two seasons, three seasons, and see where we stand at the end of it. Well, and the other piece of it is there's a couple of other moves that kind of coincide with each other that I think is important. Obviously, the Odell Beckham trade is a big one, you know. And and it's been glaring so far this year, not having a playmaker like Odell on the team. But basically what that trade has shaken out to at this point is it was an Odell Beckham for Dexter Lawrence, Jabril Peppers, and O'Shane Eximenez. That is basically what the Giants got in return for Odell Beckham. Uh, I I mean, you have three, two starters on defense, maybe a third that's kind of a pass rusher, but... You know, if it, looking back at that at, at this moment right now, it's it feels like it's you know sixty cents on the dollar when you ended up trading Odell out of town. Well, yeah, and that one's a tricky one too because especially when we talk about separation on the offensive side for the wide receivers, you know that that Beckham can do that. How he impacts the rest of the offense, so there's real value in terms of not just him but the value across the offense. The only thing I'll say though is too. And I, this is neither here nor there, but just the idea of, yeah, you traded him away at a time when even with him, you probably still weren't going to be necessarily that good. And even if it converts into Dexter Lawrence, I, I that alone to me is a really big piece when you talked about where we were. Absolutely nothing across the defensive front. He now becomes a staple across that line. And that's certainly a big improvement in that area. But I do think it is debatable as we move along here about what you got, what you lost, and just maybe where, where would Daniel Jones be in his development? Where would this offense be if you had just a weapon that could burn deep? The trickle-down effect, though, Adam, is when you move Odell Beckham and you get an asset like Dexter Lawrence and, and Peppers and a draft pick, you, you then overcompensate at the wide receiver position because you don't have Odell anymore. Yeah. You start freaking out and saying, well, we can't lose Sterling Shepard. Like, we, we have to find a way to lock him up early. You know, we lock him up $10 million a year. We realize that, you know, we have to draft a wide receiver. We got really lucky with getting Darius Slayton. But then we go out and say, well, we need a veteran. Now we're getting rid of Odell. What do we get? And we go out and we reach for the guy that you love, Golden Tate. Love him. So, love him. you know, all of these can't be just looked at in a vacuum. When Odell Beckham leaves, Golden Tate is signed because of that trade. And so when you look at all this, I, you know, I, I – I, Generally think, you know, and, and then you look at kind of the defensive side of the ball with the cornerback position, you have Beal opt out, you mm-hmm. trade up to get Baker, huge whiffs uh, on those right now. You, 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 you go after Ballantyne in the draft. He has been terrible. You look at Yenum, you try to find something, catch lightning in a bottle. He has not been even replacement level. You go out and get Ra- Madre Harper, Ryan Lewis. He's literally trying anything he can at the cornerback position because that has been a failure. But also, you know, guys opting out and guys getting arrested off the field 
is a tough one to forecast, right? Yeah, and that's I think that ultimately, as we'll start to move into how we stand on on all the three phases, offense, defense, and special teams here, I, I, I think that's the difficulty is it's very easy as a fan of a particular team to sit there and hyper analyze everything and say bad, good, awful, great, whatever it may be. And, and you look around the league, you go, look how other teams do it. Now, other teams are successful in certain areas more so. But if you go around the league and you look at GMs and you look at drafts, it is hit, hits and misses. It is risk and reward, right? The problem right now for the Giants is having a strong baseline so that when you swing and miss, it doesn't necessarily end up being a referendum on how good or bad the defense is going to be because you need a number two cornerback. It's not you'd like to have a number two cornerback. You need this guy to be here. And then you talk about the opt-outs, right? Certain player decisions that end up happening on or off the field. You're like, okay, now that's something. I can't account for that. And you can go into the minutia on it as well. So it's something to think about and keep in mind, certainly, as we work through the rest of the season. I want to be angry and like every giant fan is angry. We're Owen four. We stink. We don't have enough. Like everyone wants to be angry. And I think there is plenty of blame to go around on this team. Yeah. I think you can put quite a bit of blame on Dave Gettleman, but as we'll go through this, I don't think that all of the blame necessarily goes on him at this point. Certainly. So as we turn our attention over to first, the offensive side of the ball, where the Giants overall are 32nd in the league, shouldn't be surprising to too many people, 29th in passing and 31st in rushing, just to give you the numbers on it, because you may think that, uh, listen, even at those uh, at 30, 29th and 31st, maybe it's not so bad, but 201 passing yards and 76 rushing yards. So really in today's NFL, not a good look on that side of the ball. Uh, I'll let you take the lead here just in terms of what's the first thing that you want to bring attention to. And then I have some interesting stats here specifically around run and pass protection and what that looks like for Big Blue. I have a couple of key things. We brought it up on Monday's show. The red zone offense is terrible. We're the worst team in the league at scoring the ball when we get it inside the 20-yard line. That is never going to result. All the other stats, you know, you, you can look at some different separation stats and all that, all that stuff that we'll, we could get into later. But not being able to score the ball when you have opportunities to score the ball is the reason why this team is 0-4. There were chances to win games. Yep. They, like, like, let's just keep in mind that the Rams game they had, you know, in, basically at the 20-yard line with a minute to go with a chance to tie. Let's not forget that the Bears game, they had the ball inside the 20-yard line with a chance to score and potentially win the game. Like, you know, as, as doom and gloom as this has been, we just haven't been able to finish off any of these scoring plays. And to me, that's the most glaring. A lot of the, the you know, yardages and different things can be glossed over if when we get the opportunities, we make the most of those opportunities. Right. So even scoring, right? Scoring, our scoring ranking is obviously bottom of the barrel as well. So before we get into what we'd like to maybe see change here on the offensive side of the ball over the next four games, a couple of interesting stats that I came across, and we don't want to get down in the minutia as we try to say, but the average NFL in terms of rushing yards per play is just over four yards, 4.28. The Giants, of course, at 2.76 yards is going to be bottom of the barrel for you. And that's what you would expect. We've been struggling, right? Where are the running backs being contacted behind the line of scrimmage often? And interesting, if we want to go silver lining here, on power success rate, so power runs up the gut, league average is 66. 
we're actually 60%. That's good for 22nd. It's not, it's not blowing the doors off, but also it's a little surprising. What makes it even more surprising is that we get stuffed on 28% of our runs, league average at 17. So you, you assume that we'd be getting stuffed a lot and well over league average. It's almost surprising, though, that we can do the power game with some level of success. So I'm going to be curious to see how that starts to transition when we talk about where we're going with this running back by committee. Uh, I, I have an interesting thought around that, uh, around the running back group as well. And that's just that before we get into passing, Wayne Goldman has 10 carries for 52 yards. He broke off a nice long one. I know we bought in Devontae Freeman. I still think that over the next four games, I want to see more of Wayne Goldman than I do of Devontae Freeman. It's going to be a share in carries, but I think that I, I would be going with Wayne Goldman. He looked more dynamic in that last game. And at the very least, he looked more physical and powerful of a runner against the Rams. I think the Giants should be trying to build with that. I, I don't mind seeing a little bit more of Wayne Gallman. Obviously, Freeman is still getting his feet underneath him early mm -hmm. on in the season. He is, the, you know, Freeman's the guy I do look for that that can get us, you know, uh, on a third and two can get us a couple yards when we do really need it. What, what I'm looking for more from from this offense, and I'm really hoping they incorporate it moving forward is some of the zone reads that Daniel Jones may have the ability to do. I know yep. that, that it, it's, it's clear. This goes into, this goes into coaching as well, right? Yeah, it, it, exactly. Because you look at where the league is going with some of the different uh, ways that they, they use their playmakers and they, and they get these explosive talents to really maximize their value. Yeah. I mean, you look at Lamar Jackson, he he's, he's obviously the, the golden poster boy of, of exactly how the zone read can work. But then you look at a guy like Josh Allen, who's having a career year. He has the mobility. He has the arm strength. It is shifting the defense slightly. He is creating another dimension. We've seen Daniel Jones be able to get out and run in space. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, he's been he's been getting 15, 25, 30 yards. And, you know, last game I think he almost had 50 yards. He has the ability to run. He is our leading rusher on the year. I think we need to design more plays around that zone read to maybe give the defense a different look, knowing that Daniel Jones has the, has the ability to get out in space and actually make something happen. Yeah, for sure. I, I think we saw little glimmers of that in this last game, different looks from the offense that we haven't seen in the first three weeks. So maybe it's growing in that direction. The other thing that I'll point to on the offensive side of the ball, first, you talk about adjusted sack rate, which is just taking all the factors in on offense and what that looks like. Giants are a handful of positions below league average, a little over 6%. They're there at eight. So just again, protection. Let's go ahead and get better at that. That's an obvious statement. The other big one for me is when you talk about doing these new schemes, trying new looks, getting guys in space, I don't want to beat this drum to death uh we're going to touch on this player later on for a very for another different reason but right now evan ingram comes into this uh, into this week five with 10 percent drop percentage he's been targeted 30 times he has three drops so far on the season when you compare him to other tight ends around the league uh, go out there and look at uh, darren waller in las vegas targeted 40 times has a drop percentage of just 2.5 if you're not going to convert the opportunities when your offense is struggling that's also the recipe for disaster especially when you're getting such limited looks in the red zone limited looks to move the ball on third down so there there is an argument to be made here also that it's not solely on the offensive line it's also about what receivers are doing getting separation i already went off on golden tate last week but in general you need these guys to be doing more to help daniel jones to help this offense have some consistency along the way well, I mean, think about it, Adam. It, 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 this is a challenge for me because there's a couple of different stats that really don't jive well with me. The first one is Evan Ingram yards per game. 
he is 24th at the tight end position. 24th, yeah. right? And we're talking about potential franchise type player, you know, at, at the tight end position, Evan Ingram. When you talk about targets a game, he's fourth in the league. Yeah. So he's getting the looks like he he's behind guys like Waller and Kittle and Kelsey. Like that's where he is in terms of the looks that he's getting yet. The production isn't matching the amount of targets we give. And, and it, it's a host of things. And this goes back to like the chicken or the egg discussion that we all have as giant fans. Is it the offensive line? Is it Daniel Jones holding the ball too much? Is it the wide receivers not getting separation? Is it Ingram, Evan Ingram dropping it? I think it's all of them. But when we talk about Evan Ingram being, you know, a potential, future guy that we might have to give a second contract to 24th in yards a game is, is just not going to do it. And you know, when you have that many potential areas that you want to put the blame on, you know, you have problems, right? When you can say it could be a lot of things, like, right? So it's probably all those things. And, and Evan Ingram as well. We talked, as you mentioned before, replacing Odell Beckham, you can tell that this is what they're trying to do is use him in that mold. So when you're not rewarding the opportunities, it makes it more difficult for everybody else to get some easier looks. Let's flip our attention now, as we know we would, over to the defensive side of the ball. Where the, and this has been a, an incredible bright spot. So as you would expect, we talk about some of those things on the offensive side that we'd like to see change, but we do highlight a couple of positives in there, right? Things that we can look to get excited about. The Giants defense is fifth overall, sixth in passing, 11th against the run. They have done a lot of things fantastically, and we can highlight those. And then there's still some areas, though, that I think you can improve on. A lot of what we like here, I think, is predicated on just the overall functionality of this defense. Looks like we're cohesive through those first four weeks with still, again, areas to improve. Listen, we went into this offseason knowing that we needed cornerback help and knowing that we needed linebacking help. And we talked about it at the top of the show. Blake Martinez and James Bradbury have been Pro Bowl caliber players. They they might even be all pro players mm-hmm. so far with, through the first four games of the season. And to illustrate that, James Bradbury has the second highest pro football focus score of any cornerback in the entire league through four games. And this is on a team that's Love 0 and 4. So think about like, you know, they're they're throwing the ball all around. They're scoring points on us, and it's not because of him. He has been tremendous. So A plus ring the bell for James Bradbury. The other piece of it is, is Blake Martinez. You know, the first couple of games we talked about, we're like, man, Blake Martinez was all over the field. Like he is noticeable. You see him in the backfield. He shows up on the stat sheet. And when you look at, well, you know, are my eyes meeting the analytics? Mm. He's second in the league in total tackles. He's top five in the league in tackles for loss. He threw in two sacks to be able to get to the quarterback. He is all over the place for the Giants on defense. And those two guys, you know, in addition to Leonard Williams and and our defensive line, have been the reason why we've even been in any of these games. No, for sure. Yes, that balance of just understanding you have reliability at the linebacker position, which also includes getting other teammates in the right positions pre-snap. And then when you at least know, hey, we're going to put Bradbury on their number one. Yes, we're going to have difficulties with the twos and threes and some of these other matchups. But just knowing you can check certain boxes really makes it easier to start to try to scheme your way to some success by hiding some of those issues that you have in other positions. What I will say, too, is and this is a little bit of the silver lining. You know what? We'll save that. We'll save that piece there. What I want to focus on here, unfortunately. So as good as the defense has played, we know we're missing a true second cornerback. If you want to get excited, you can take a look at Ryan Lewis just in that first game, targeted five times, allowed two receptions. So 40% completion percentage. There's something maybe there. He looked better than anything else we've put out there so far to this point. You also saw some Tay Crowder getting used in 
very unique ways. He's technically a linebacker, but he was finding himself deep down the defensive field at times as well. If I want to go, there's a couple of things that I think aren't not concerning, but you you wonder where the improvement's going to come from. The first thing I'll say is when you talk about just QB rating against, right? So a player like Jabril Peppers has allowed, and this is based on the old metric, over 100 QB rating when he's targeted. So, you know, there's a problem there on the back end of the defense when they're getting pulled into uh, into coverage. Additionally, Julian Love, a guy that we were bright on coming into this season, 116 right now at, at that point as well. Now, if I want to trend a little bit, unfortunately, two sides of the coin here, I will talk about Darnay Holmes. And I'll say, when you think about the fact that right now Darnay Holmes has actually only allowed 66% completion percentage when he's been in coverage, it, that's actually pretty good. It's actually better than you might expect. The unfortunate for him is 25% missed tackles. One out of four tackles he's missing. That to me is actually the biggest glaring stat for him in terms of turning the corner when he's on the field. It's just saying, hey, man. Stay tight with them, and when you have the opportunity, let's get them to the ground because that's the difference of, you know, third and seven being a fourth and two or being a converted first down or even on a first or second down play, going for 10 yards or going for 20 yards. So some of the devil in the details here for a couple of these guys is important. And the last number, keep me out of the weeds here, the last number, though, is three missed tackles for Dalvin Tomlinson. That's over 18%, nearly 19% for Dalvin Tomlinson in the trenches. That's pivotal because you're talking about stopping running plays there, especially when they're getting, you know, trying to make that extra burst. So that's something I'm going to be keeping an eye on because we really liked what we saw from Tomlinson last year. And I just need to know that when you get your big bear paws on a guy, you're pulling him to the ground. Well, and, and Adam, you, you talk a little bit about Peppers. I wanted to go back to that piece. Mm -hmm. because that's not a good stat, but what that highlights to me, and we've talked about this before, is that uh, Peppers can do a lot of things well. He's good in the return game. He's good, you know, as a game changer, getting up in the box. You can almost line him up at linebacker sometimes. Like he has, he's kind of the jack of all trades. Mm -hmm. That, you know, we talked about this before. I want a guy in the NFL that can do one thing really good. Like, yeah. you know, we, everyone talked about Isaiah Simmons coming out of college, you know, the, the do it all guy from, from Clemson, they can't figure out where to put him on the field and they, they have completely mismanaged him. He's got a 32.3 pro football focus rating, which is the lowest I've ever seen of anyone. And he's not that bad of a player. It's just, no one knows what to do with him. Like, do we put him at nickel package? Do we put him at linebacker? Do we put him at like, wh where do we even put this guy on the field consistently to have success? I feel like you know, to a smaller scale, that's the kind of stuff that the Giants struggle with peppers on is you, you think he may just be a safety, but then you bring him up in the box. Then you're saying, well, maybe he could cover the tight end. Like, and then you start getting into this whole mishmash of things. And also you're putting him in difficult situational football sometimes, right? You may actually end up more often than not putting him in a bad matchup statistically for him right. and asking him, you say, listen, I know this isn't ideal, but go try to cover the tight end or come down in the box on this particular play. So the stats can get skewed there in terms of what the value is. We'll see how he looks when he comes back from injury as well. Overall, though, we know the defense has played very strong this season. It's been impressive. Uh, we talked about those stats on the offensive side. Defensively, allowing 108 rushing yards. That's good for uh, that's good for sixth, oh, sorry, 11th overall in the rushing. And then that, that number for passing is going to be uh, 221 yards. So, I mean, they're... <laughs> You know, they're doing a nice balance here of holding offenses, and there's been some quality ones. You can say the 49ers, in spite of all the points 
you know, is maybe a throw in there. You get the Bears. It's been a bit of a hodgepodge. We'll certainly get a really good sample size here when we take on the Dallas Cowboys in week five. And, and then and that'll bring us down to earth a little bit. And that's OK. I don't think that we are the fifth overall defense in the NFL statistically, but we have at least put some of those baseline you know, components in place that we can say we can get better over the course of this year. Well, a c- couple things, you know, if you look at some of the advanced metrics on defense, we're, we're 10th and 12th uh, in adjusted pass. Right. and run. So we're kind of a little bit more in top 10, top 15 range when you, when you take into account some of the ex, you know additional factors rather than just the stats there, which I think is right around where I, I feel like we could be, which is great. And by the way, right, coming into the season, what we say, hey, man, if we could be around top, you know, 20, 17 to 20 in defense, because that'd be a big improvement from last year. And you'd feel like that coupled with a nice offense <laughs> would would really give us a, a, a nice complimentary two sides of the ball. So unfortunately, it hasn't quite gotten there yet, but we're going to touch on this after we get through the, the third phase of the game changes and adjustments we might expect over the next four. And I think that can impact where these stats finish for this team. Yeah. Small footnote on the defense is, Mm -hmm. you know, Leonard Williams is in a one year prove it deal. He's, you know, top five in QB pressures and hits again. He finally has two sacks. So giant fans can feel happy that they're checking the box that he actually has something in that stat sheet. You know, he's, he's now projecting for eight sacks. If he gets 10 sacks, was it not a successful season for Leonard Williams at that point? Like what, I mean, what do giant fans need to see in order for them to feel comfortable with Gettleman or whoever the GM is giving them a long-term deal? Be very interesting. Him and Tomlinson. I think it's one or the other, right? Dexter Lawrence, we know is going to be there. What does this look like for the other position? Cause I don't think you're going to give out two big contracts in the off season. Let's head over to special teams where we are 10th in average per kick. That's in return yards per kick. And then 26th in average per punt. Listen, uh, you know, it's special teams. We don't have to belabor this. I like that we went out and got Gano. He's been nice in the kicking game. He knocks it through the uprights. That's what you want, consistency in that regard. We've only put up, it's 20 yards per kick return. So that number, you know, if you're catching it at the five or so, the starting field position is okay. Only one fair catch so far in the punting game. I think you want to see a little bit more from the Gunners just getting down there. There have been chances for them to down the ball inside the 10, inside the five, and some of them haven't been converted. But but listen, overall pretty consistent. I will say a guy we mentioned on the defensive side of the ball and Corey Ballantyne, he was still out there in the return game this past week, looked better in the return game in week four than he had prior. And that's going to be something to keep an eye on in terms of his value to this roster could be more in special teams going forward. Well, you know, a lot of that has to do with Jabril Peppers not being able to play. Obviously, he's one of our primary return men. So, buddy, I'm trying to find a place for Corey Ballantyne. I like the kid. Stop taking the wind out. Uh, I mean, listen, uh, the the person Corey Ballantyne, nothing wrong with him, but a 41.4 Pro Football Focus rating is lower than Yadam, and it's lower than everyone else on our roster. So, right. like, it's just it's tough. By uh, traditional say, metrics, not great. Yes, but by <laughs> any metrics, not not really very good. Yeah. Uh, but but when we talk about the special teams game, the only other small piece of it is Giant fans toiling over what to do with Aldrich Rosas. Oh, goodness, like what could we – like he was a Pro Bowl player once. He was then not good. He was pretty good the next year. It's like, okay, we, we got rid of that experiment, and Graham Gano is 9 of 10, and the only one he missed was like a 55, 52, 53-yarder at the end of the half in Chicago. So, like, yeah. can we just understand that the kicking game is a commodity? You roll with the hot hot hand, and if they like the team and they feel f- some familiarity with it, let's just roll with it. Yeah. Yeah, like, it's not that I, hard. I, I, I know, I, is, you know, there's certain positions that that couldn't be any less consequential, by the way, even in special teams, like a punter is actually 
pretty important. And you do need a quality guy who can angle and place punts, positional football, and change the field position, certainly. Like, that guy actually does matter. That's why Riley Dixon is important to this team. That's but why no. Jeff Eagles was important to the to the Giants, right? Right. Even, uh, what, Weatherford, right? Like, I mean, like, these guys have been important. Having a booming leg there to really change when you have a bad three and out in your own end, and you can launch this thing the other way and switch field position. Yeah, like, that's important. Kicking doesn't matter. Gano wasn't even in the league. Comes in 9 of 10, playing very consistent. Obviously, we're bottom of the barrel in terms of kickoffs, just in case anyone's wondering, because we're not scoring points, we're not kicking them away. Hard to gauge those stats too much. Make uh, anything let, make anything under 45 yards, and I'm pretty much happy with you. A 50-yarder, yeah. I'm like, well, if you make it, it's a bonus, and let's move on. Yep. On the uh, last little tidbit here, that's turnovers. Obviously, four on defense, two interceptions, two fumbles, eight total on the offensive side of the ball. Good for minus four. Uh, the, the, my real thing here for me is, is probably, again, looking at the defense. Let's continue to try to get some more turnovers. Obviously, we know the things we want to clean up on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, but even, again, late interception there for Daniel Jones. But it seems like a uh, silver lining. We're trending in the right direction there. Defensively, though, we've, we've, we've struggled over the last handful of years to get turnovers. And four through four games is basically middle of the road, slightly below average for the NFL standards. You just got to do a little bit more as good as the defense has been, if on some of those nice drives that you're getting stops, you get a couple of interceptions or you get a fumble recovery and really put the offense in a, in a position to get a disappointing field goal, uh, you know, that's what we just need to see a little bit more of, I think, going forward. Not by much, but just a little more. Adam, the, the one silver lining on the turnover numbers is it's very easy math for you and I to do, which is kind of nice, to be honest. It's We're averaging one turnover by the defense every game, and we're giving up two on offense yep. or special teams, you know, in, in, in the, on the offensive side of the ball. And, and that, you know, turnover differential of minus four puts us 25th tied for 25th in the league. Not great. Not good to your point. You know, those are the types of things where they do talk about, you know, if Leonard Williams could get from the QB pressures and hits to the quarterback mm -hmm. and, and force more fumbles and try to get more disruptive plays to be able to change the field for the team, it would be huge. But you know what? That's not really where we're at. And to be honest with you, you look at the the first game against Pittsburgh. Uh, you know, the punt gets muffed at the two yard line, and we still can't put the ball in the end zone. So, you know, it, it would be better to see the turnover differential move up a little bit. Um, but as you said, the defense is kind of trending middle of the road where where they should be. And by the way, if over say the next four games, the offense has three total turnovers, and the defense gives you four again you'd be happy with that, right? Midway point of the season, you're eight defensively and you're at 11. And then over the next four games, you know, you just try to bring yourself back down to base. So you don't want to put more pressure on the defense because maybe the offense has struggled in a category, but we know turnover battle obviously has huge implications on winning and losing games. And right now we're on the wrong side of it. So hopefully they get a chance to clean that up. Let's go bird's eye view here just in terms of the coaching. What have we liked? What haven't we liked? There's some pretty obvious things and we already touched on some of them. But over these next four games, what would you like to see? Let's start on the offensive side of the ball, right? Where I think we we, we want to see more growth in terms of the scheme and how we're approaching gameplay. Uh, well, it, when you talk about the offense, uh, you know, what I want to see more of is two things. I want to see more zone reads. I want to see more designed plays for Daniel Jones to get out in space and use his legs. He clearly, you know, that is part of his package. He is a mm -hmm. weapon when he gets the ball out in space. Definitely want to see that. What I'd love to see, you know, I was looking at some of the the route trees 
you know, I'm getting really deep into things, but here we go. Here we go. You don't go percentages, but you go route trees. I was, I was looking at the <laughs> route trees and, and, and route charts of someone like Evan Ingram and not to, not to bang on him. Uh, this is not necessarily an indictment on him, but it looks like he only ran one route up the steam the entire game last week. And so for me, when I start looking at them having all these shallow crosses and these little quick outs, like that's fine. But Evan Ingram is explosive down the field. Like if we can get mm. the ball in his hands a little bit more, that's kind of what I want to see. I want to see more seam passes. Everything is to the outside. And predictably, that's where Daniel Jones can get in trouble, where these guys start jumping routes if we're, if we're just going to be doing the same thing. Yeah, and I do want to see growth in there. Uh, not not to get again into the statistical weeds here, but 16% of Daniel Jones' passes are considered bad passes, bad throws. Like to see him bring that number down a bit. He is on target. 74, almost 75% of the time. So it goes back to he suffered from eight drops uh, by his receiving core. So, you know, these things work in tandem and it's really hard on the offensive side when you're you're working in razor thin margins, right? One drop pass by Evan Ingram, one slightly overthrown ball by Daniel Jones looking for Slayton. And all of a sudden you go from, getting into the red zone with a chance to get points to needing to punt it away or on a fourth down as they've done really well so far to turning the ball over to the other, other side. So there's little things there that you want to see cleaned up. And I, I'm holding reservation on on examining Jason Garrett because it's a new system and everybody is learning new things, new pieces on this line, even you know, arguably new roles for some of the weapons on the outside, plus losing Saquon Barkley and everything else, right? There's there's a lot to adjust here. So I, I really am gonna look at these next four weeks and maybe it's not going to be about even wins and losses, but what are the schemes that we're running? How is the playbook opening up more for Daniel Jones? To your point, do we see him using those legs strategically more often as opposed to out of panic, out of scramble? Yeah, it's, it's been tough. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not overly pleased with, with the design of a lot of the different uh, plays on offense. A little predictable. Yeah, it does feel predictable. Um, you know, but to be honest, you lose Saquon Barkley, who is your, your be all end all guy in the backfield. Um, Sterling Shepard hasn't been there for a couple of games. Golden Tate missed a game. It, it's just, it, it's been a hodgepodge for, for Garrett on offense. You know, what I will say on the positive side of coaching is, is there's two different things I think we can point to that um, speak well for Joe judge. The first mm. one is we're sixth in the league in terms of penalties. So we're one of the least yes, penalized teams in the league. And that shows some discipline, which is something I don't feel like we've had in previous seasons. So you look at that, you say, we're cleaning up a lot of these mistakes, a lot of these errors. I think that is hugely important for us. The, yeah. the second piece of it is we're top 10 in fourth down conversion at mm -hmm. 75%. I know that, you know, well, it's a small sample size. It's only four weeks. Well, we've been losing in, in the fourth quarter of every single game. And we've had to make tough calls on fourth down. And whichever scheme and, and whichever time we're going for it, we seem to be making it more often than not. So for me, it seems like we're, we're very well disciplined. And then when it comes down to those fourth down execution things, the team is going out there and executing well. So when you talk about what you want to see more of, those are the types of things. I want to see discipline and I want to see us executing in those fourth and ones, fourth and twos where we have to get those yards.
Yeah, and I think that that's a, that is a bright spot for Jason Garrett. You'd say, right? He's figuring out a way to convert those opportunities. Go back to the one where they had Daniel Jones try to run that QB sneak, and we were talking. It may have been a third down play that we were talking about it. And I know, and this isn't even a knock on you. You were like, get Daniel Jones in and get those couple of yards. I was like, it's never going to work. This is not going to happen. And I think that Jason Garrett, you know, he's also learning on the fly about what is effective and what's functional behind Nick Gates or behind Thomas, etc. So those are the things that you're starting to see growth in. And at the very least, those fourth down conversions when defenses have a great opportunity to really shut us down at, at different points of the game, we've been able to have success. So we'll keep an eye on that as well. The quick tip of the cap over on the defensive side of the ball, I think Patrick Graham is doing a fantastic job with limited personnel. We've highlighted that outside cornerback position, right? Nobody over there to compliment Bradbury, and he's still making it work. I think that what you're what you're really seeing is they're trusting Bradbury, obviously. You're trusting Blake Martinez, and then you're even trusting Logan Ryan and using him in some different spots, but you're really saying we're scheming our way to try to protect against the exposure on the other side of the field there, and for Giants fans, don't forget, this is a ways away, but McKinney is going to come back this year and that is drastically going to impact where Logan Ryan can get utilized, where Julian Love can get utilized and even Jabril Peppers. So there's a mechanism here that we don't even know how it's going to help us. And that's why going back to Dave Gettleman, he said, bringing in these different cast of characters across the field. It's great. Keep running them through and see if you can get a guy that offers some level of consistency because after the bye week, we may have another really valuable, versatile weapon in the vein of what we think Jabril Peppers can maybe do, but the next level of that, right? The, the pure athlete, put him everywhere, do everything for you. Yeah, I mean, we got to keep trying it until we figure something else out. We can't keep rolling out the same guy that gets burned every single play. And and then we'd be looking and saying, well, what's the GM? What's the coach doing? We've got to make adjustments. And at, at the very least, they're trying everything they can given the circumstance. So, yep, yep. yep. Brighter spots ahead. Before we before we move into our our final phase here, is there anything is there anything in terms of the roster that you want to see changed over the next four games on either side of the ball in terms of who's getting the reps? I mean, we've already seen right Ballantyne trending down nearly off the field here. Looks like Tay Crowder got a sniff this past game, and and everyone's remarks around him are he's just an athlete, right? An athlete at the linebacker position, something that. Blake Martinez isn't, and it's not a knock on Blake Martinez. He does things very well because he's a high motor, high focused, high intelligence guy. And Tay Crowder offers you just pure athleticism. Get out there and make some plays for us. Is there anything on either side, obviously offensive line that you maybe want to see some higher reps for players? Well, the only other thing I can think about that I would like to see is we can't really run the ball very effectively. So we need to start manufacturing plays that give us the illusion of running the ball mm -hmm. or give us the same type of, progression down the field as running the ball. I mean, like I talked about the zone reads is one way to do it. I wouldn't even mind going five, five wide receiver sets or, you know, four and Ingram or, you know, three wide receivers and, and Lewis out, out there in, in some space just to give us some different looks, even if it gets us three or four yards. Yep. But I think we need to just get a little bit more creative with that piece of it. The, the other side of it is, is this the wide receiving core for the rest of the year? Is this what we're going to do? Like, are, are we not going to make any any decisions? It, you know, listen, it, it's fine if, if people clamor for, um, you know, Mohamed Sanu, who just got released by San Francisco, who also got released Stop by it. New England. Who, Stop it. Like, like he, he's been released by two teams that are just as desperate to get wide receiver help as we are. <laughs> so, so at this point, like, I, I think that ship has sailed. But 
yeah, to, to your point, you talk about any, any of the moves. Is there anyone coming in that you see? Well, let's start there first. Yeah, because uh, my only other thing pre-deadline moves would be saying you got to watch Hernandez over these next couple of games and possibly consider taking a look at a Shane Lemieux and adjusting something there. Because if Thomas is struggling and, and he has, you got to figure out what's the combination here. And we're already in year three for Hernandez. So from a roster starter standpoint, that's the big one that stands out to me. Now here at the trade deadline, listen, we talked about it last week around Golden Tate. I, I, I get the delicate balance of you know, maintaining some presence and value in the wide receiver core. But if I don't see uptrend for Golden Tate in production and being the veteran safety valve for Daniel Jones over the next one, two, three weeks, then maybe. And even if I see a, you know, a small sample size, but you go, OK, but it's still not really moving the needle for us. I think you have to maybe consider throwing him out there. Now, I don't know if you get any value because Sanu is getting released like it may be relatively the same pot. The other guy, obviously, is Evan Ingram. We've beaten this drum a lot. I really think if you want to hold on to a veteran presence like Golden Tate and you don't want to strip it away, you mentioned the high percentage that he's getting looks on offense. If you're not converting, it makes it seem unlikely that they would move away from him. But again, if he shows a little sample size, I think maybe you have to consider moving off of him with the fifth-year option. You know that you're giving a season and a half worth of value to a team that might look to get him. Uh, that's probably one of the you know, only couple of spots. There's not a lot of options in terms of, hey, who do you want to move on from here? Uh, you know, Defensively, offensively, in terms of bringing in players, I, I, I think what we've seen to this point is what you're going to get, right? Looking to grab a guy off a practice squad somewhere, continuing to bring in players to sample size, it's not the Antonio Browns out on the free agency market. And I don't know what teams would be. You might look at, say, you know, a great example. It just came to me. Jacksonville Jaguars. If they were having a bad season, if they were getting off to the bad start that everyone thought they were going to, then you start to look at their receiving core. And you say, you know, okay, Shark Jr., he's automatically, you know, he's the number one there, quote unquote. But what about a Chenault? Right, maybe he has some value and is a nice multifunctional weapon that you want to bring in. If those guys were trending in the wrong direction, maybe you could look to get some value off a bad roster like that. But there's not a lot of examples of that around the league right now. So I don't even know if the Giants were considering bringing in something to help supplement the wide receiver core. Maybe specifically, that seems to be the biggest spot, right? How can we get the receiving core better, knowing that it's going to be at least week six before we see Sterling Shepard back on the field? I, I don't know what the option. I don't think there's a lot of options, I guess is the point, because most teams would be looking to do that. The fact that Sanu has bounced around to a couple of spots it really goes to show you how thin the options are there and really how willing teams are. Maybe over the next couple of weeks, it changes how certain teams look at their season. Yeah, the only place that I'm looking at in, in outgoing talent, it, and this is a tough one, and, and I don't know how feasible it is given the construction of the roster, but you know, Jabril Peppers is coming up for a contract extension. And they're going to have yeah, no, a great one. quite a bit of money. And yep. they just locked up Bradbury. They just blocked up Blake Martinez. They got to give a contract to either Leonard Williams or Dalvin Tomlinson, right? Mm -hmm. and they just drafted Xavier McKinney. They have Julian Love. You know, they, they just brought in Logan Ryan, who everyone is now talking about this not being a one-year rental, and maybe he wants to stick around and finish his career with the New York Giants. I, I, I know it's probably not popular considering we used him as the big chip in the Odell Beckham trade but he might be someone that you look at and you say if we're not going to sign him long term what can i get for him that a competing team would want right now knowing that he has that versatility he is still young and they could sign him to a longer contract 
No, 100%. And I said this at the time of the draft, right? When we drafted McKinney, I said, listen, that's the writing on the wall for, for a second contract for Peppers because no matter what, you're going to look at McKinney and say, okay, let's see what he does over the first four years of his career, and then we'll give him the big deal. He's our in-house guy that we drafted, et cetera. For Peppers, as talented as he has been, even in that trade, I I think it's okay to say, what did we get back? We got back some stopgap pieces because that's how depleted our roster was. So I'm okay with that. Now, what can you get for him out there on the market, especially with some of these little nagging injuries would be interesting to see. But I think that a championship caliber team that maybe is a little bit thin on the back end of their defense they could certainly come calling for peppers and i don't know you know would a fourth round pick ring your bell for you would that be enough for you to move off of him and unfortunately i'll say the secondary piece is in order to move on from him by week eight you're going to give yourself a just a little bit of a gap there where you don't have someone on the back end while you wait for mckinney to come off of injury so that's probably the only the only hindrance to making a move like that is you don't know that McKinney's healthy and ready to go this year. Not about big picture, but just, you know, having those reps there. Then you're talking about bringing up a, a Sean Chandler for a couple of weeks to fill that gap. Well, the, the other piece of it that we still have not figured out yet is Dribble Peppers plays strong safety, and we have a lot of good free safeties on the team yes. in yep. terms of Julian Love, um, Logan Ryan, Xavier McKinney. So we don't really have a like for like, you know, you, you trade Peppers. You kind of have to massage our safety positions to make it work. And now going back to last year and the sample size was small and relative, but, but Julian love did fill in for peppers when he got injured last year. So I think the the quickest like for like would be saying Julian love better, better utilized probably at strong safety than he is at free safety anyway, because he's a little bit bigger. You like him in run support a little bit more. So that would probably be the move you make. And just to round it out, a couple of things. We mentioned earlier about the contracts for potentially a Leonard Williams or a Dalvin Tomlinson. If you're not giving out big money to Peppers, then maybe you get to say, do we want to bring back both of these players and be really thick and strong up front on the defensive line? That would be Dave Gettleman's vision. And then the secondary part of it is, too, you have to just look at Peppers and say, what's the real impact value here, right? And if we look at another roster that needs him, what can we get back? Not, not even assets. Let's talk about player. Let's talk about getting maybe a guy that's a, a high three borderline two cornerback. Maybe we can go and just do a swap like that where we're technically giving up value, right? We're getting the lesser side of the deal. But for the second half of the season, as McKinney comes back, if we get stronger on the other side across from Bradbury, that can be worth it for us, especially if it's a younger player that maybe you see potential upside and development over the next two years of a contract. Yeah, I, I don't have a problem with that. I think we just need assets and uh, whether they're younger or cheaper or, you know, giving us promise for the future, any any type of those assets is fine with me. Yeah, <laughs> just give me something. Just give me anything. Give, give me, me something. something. Not holding you to it. Four game record. What do the Giants do? One and three. I'm going to go two and two. Don't worry about it, guys. We're all going to be okay. Uh, We will, of course, be back on Friday breaking down the New York Football Giants matchup with the Dallas Cowboys and being joined by Keith McPherson to tell us the tale of Dallas and why they're struggling on the defensive side of the ball. Until then, follow us at One Giant Podcast on social media. Sign up on Sportscaster to get in the live conversations Monday, Wednesday, and Friday using the hashtag OGP. Until the next time, friends, Andy Makowitz wants, needs, demands that you know. As always, let's go Big Blue. Bang.